long time ago in three different galaxies far away. Ah, it was the pals gathering to talk about Star Wars. <laughs> this is Natalie. This is Tracy. And I'm Stacy. I wanted to kind of talk about like our history of Star Wars, like kind of where we're coming from before we like hash it out. Oh yeah. Uh, well, Natalie, what is your history with Star Wars? So I we had the original trilogy on VHS. So like I have brief memories of like, you know, seeing Indiana Jones in a spaceship or a submarine, one of those two things as like a a really young child, but like I could not definitively tell you the plot line of each movie like today. I could tell you the general plot line of all three movies, but I'm still like not quite sure what was where. I guess like my attachment to Star Wars is more from like reinterpretations and rehashings of Star Wars, like Robot Chicken or Mr. Plinkett. But the original trilogy, like I don't have much of a connection to it besides like watching it with my family like on a beanbag when I was very small. And I have much, you know, clearer memories, of course, of like the new trilogy yeah. Blasphemy. <laughs> so, like, what is your excitement level going into this movie? So, I was kind of, like, I felt like this movie was, like, a lot of letting go of the, like, mythos that I had I had built up in my head about Star Wars. Because when you're a kid, like, I was thinking about this, about, like, Star Trek Voyager the other day, where when I was, and, like, Xena and Hercules, where it seemed like such a serious show. When I was, like, a kid and I was so, like, deeply invested in, like, you know, the lives of all these people. And it was only, like, you know, years later when I rewatched Voyager where I'm like, oh, God, this is really campy and not great at all. And then I'm just wondering if I'm carrying, like, this, you know, seriousness of Star Wars into adulthood and... I was like, when I was watching this, I was like, do I have to like let that go and realize that Star Wars is and has always been rather silly? (laughs) I feel like you have an interesting case because you haven't rewatched the original trilogy. I'm kind of worried to rewatch them. Have you have you ever done that where you you were so attached to the idea of something that like to shatter that idea is kind of scary? I'm not very reverent about a lot of things. Like, I rewatch Gundam Wing, and I know it's, like, super campy and probably terrible in the grand scheme of anime, but I still love it. And part of loving it is accepting that this is what I loved when I was 15 years old, and I probably wouldn't love it if I had watched it as an adult. So, Stacey, what is your Star Wars background? Uh, So, I do remember vaguely watching it as a child, but not really understanding what was happening because I had a tendency to drift out of the room if things got too intense or scary, Mm, which is a lot of Star Wars if you think about it. (laughs) And then so, when episode one, The Phantom Menace came out, I went to a friend's house and we watched all the original trilogy again. And I was just like, oh, now I actually understand what's going on in all the movies. So, you were pretty excited going into that movie? Oh, yeah. Totally. I I have to admit, I actually quite enjoyed The Phantom Menace, but after I watched episode two, that one was so bad that I couldn't watch episode three. So it was kind of exciting. It's like, well, what are they going to give us this time? Will I be able to watch this new trilogy, or am I going to stop at the first one? 
that was kind of my experience as well. Like, uh, I was, when I was real little, I loved the Star Wars movies. Like, we had them on VHS that somebody had recorded from TV, I think, because they were very bad and they had commercials <laughs> in them. This was the way my brother and I rewatched and rewatched these movies. And actually, I would say that when the prequels came out, I was young enough that I was, I didn't mind it, you know, like looking back, or probably when I saw the Plinkett reviews was the first time I really analyzed the quality of the prequels for the first time. And actually, <laughs> my friends and I were so into Star Wars that there's footage of me somewhere during the premiere of the third movie, which I now cannot even remember the name of, such as my fandom, where I am dressed like a Jedi with a dowel colored like a lightsaber, and we're all waiting. Wow. <laughs> We didn't care if it was good. We were just there to see some Star Wars. And I think that's my attitude going into these new trilogies, too, is like, to a certain extent, I'm older and I'm wiser, but on a much deeper level, I'm just here to see some Star Wars. Yeah. So what did you guys think of the movie? I'm honestly, like, still distracted by Kylo Ren's bare chest. Yeah, I won't ever not be distracted by that, I think. Just in the back of my mind at all times, there's the Kylo Ren panel. <laughs> that, that was one of the most confusing things for me, this movie, where it's kind of like, do I ship Kylo and Rey? Like, I kind of do. Even though he's, like, super emo and obviously the villain, but I want them to kiss. Is Adam Driver hot? Oh, wait, let's just focus on the porgs. Yeah, thank God for Porgs taking the attention off of our bare-chested men. Yeah, relieving the sexual tension. <laughs> well, somebody had to do it. So are I, we yay or nay on Porgs? I am nay on Porgs, and I also was, I just like, I was saddened by The Last Jedi because like what I think about Star Wars and what Rian, Rian Johnson, is that his name? It's Ryan. Okay, Ryan Johnson. Ryan Johnson and I have different ideas of what Star Wars is. And I always thought, like, if one wanted to, one could live one's life against, like, the rules and ethos of Star Wars. Which would be a terrible idea if you did it according to this movie. Well, there's, there's like, the violence, the terrorism, the kamikaze for love. Um, there's, like, a lot of questionable things about, like, disregarding the chain of command and just, like, bad decisions and bad reasoning behind those decisions at the same time. And I was just like, maybe, maybe I've gotten it wrong. Like, maybe I've, like, misinterpreted what a Star Wars movie is and I just have to, like, change myself and accept that it is kind of like a Marvel movie where you just, you know, buckle in and have a great time. One of the things I noticed about this movie is how ridiculous the first five minutes were. And I have come to believe that this was deliberate. Like, the very first thing you see is uh, Hux hamming it up. Like, all the dialogue in that scene is just, like, absurd, and it's being delivered in the most absurd way possible. And so at first I was like, what am I seeing? Is this, is this the way the movie's gonna be? And then I just I just calmed right down. I was just like, so be it. If this is the nonsense I'm here to see, then that's what's happening. And like, it, once the bar had been like set down just a little bit, like the rest of the movie took off like a rocket. I think once Leia flew across space, I was like, oh, okay, I understand now. I'm going to let go <laughs> and I'm going to have a good time. 
And I did. I did enjoy it. Uh, I guess I'm, I'm not as upset as most people seem to be about Leia flying through space. Because I just... It's always been understood that as Luke's twin sister, she has the same sensitivity to the Force that she has. She's just never been interested in learning how to develop those skills or becoming a Jedi. It is true that sort of the concept of what would happen to Leia was a constant distraction through the movie, though. Not necessarily in a bad way, because it was nobody's fault, but... Like, during that scene, I was like, ah, yes, the demise of Princess Leia. This was a classy way to do it. And oh no, she's flying through space. <laughs> and I am glad that they decided not to change that, because I think the scene between her and Luke at the end was worthwhile. You know, if you had killed her earlier in the space scene, then you would have had to omit all that, and it would have been kind of too sad for Star Wars. Were you sad when Luke died? No, I think it was understood that this is what was going to happen to him. And also, like, he didn't truly die. He became one with the Force. I wasn't sad at all because I was like, they can just bring him back whenever they want. He can, like, Force strike, you know, trees and stuff. Just like Yoda. <laughs> this isn't goodbye. We'll just yeah, I feel like it blue. wasn't so much, like, sadness that he was leaving, but more, like, your touch because he's finally accepted, like, everything. There's acceptance. I guess I thought it was a nice moment. Like, I knew that Luke was going to be killed at some point, probably. Even though I think it would have been cool if they didn't. Like, that seemed to be everybody's consensus about what had to happen. So actually, I would have been okay with it. He's like, all right, I'm helping you this one time. Now please leave me on my island. That's all I ask. And then he, of course, comes back in the third movie. He can come back. The nice thing about being a Force ghost is that he can be anywhere in the galaxy. He's not confined to his island anymore. He's confined to one appearance per movie, as per the Star Wars doctor. <laughs> <laughs> He's just, like, in half the movie. <laughs> that reminds me of an episode of um, the Graham Norton show where they had the cast of The Last Jedi on. And they were basically joking. It's like, well, one way we know how, like, characters survive or not is that we ask the actors if they have, like, what it says in their contracts. Are they obligated to do all three movies or not? So John Boyega was joking to Gwendolyn Christie that unlike her, he was protected by a contract. <laughs> People online were upset about Phasma. Like, is she coming back? Is she dead? We have no idea. I hated that she was only in like two minutes. Two minutes. Yeah. I would have liked some more Phasma after all the buildup. And okay, admittedly, it was the fans who did the buildup, not like the trailers or anything. It was like, it's Gwendolyn Christie in a cool costume. We're here for this. And they really, it didn't give us too much. I wanted there to be, like, she is set up as, like, their primary antagonist for this movie. Like, can you imagine the whole plot with Finn and Rose if Phasma had been, like, tracking him down the whole time? That would have been great. Especially since it seemed to be implied that Phasma is a racist, like, stormtrooper. Uh, yeah, she had something. I was like, I really just extent. need Finn to drive a lightsaber through her heart. And he was always, or she was always his nemesis more so than, like, a major player in the story. So it would have made a lot of sense for this movie for her to be like, I'm going to get that rogue stormtrooper. And everybody else is like, shouldn't we focus on? And she's like, no, I'm going to get him. And she goes to get him <laughs> and causes trouble. <laughs> right. I was really hoping for something like that, too. Although they probably didn't really have enough time for that. I guess, overall, I haven't said yet, I really enjoyed this movie. Although I have said, and I'll say again, I think it's actually physically impossible for me to dislike a Star Wars movie. 
just because the music is playing and my favorite characters are in my eyes and it's all beautiful. But like all of that enjoyment, the one thing that I was kind of like, huh, was the plot with Finn and Rose. I wanted to like Rose so much. You know, like I just felt like I really should root for her. Um, I think one of the things that really bothered me, and this is what happened afterwards, is like there's such so much hubbubaloo about her freeing like the the bunny the bunny llamas, <laughs> the fazers. Yeah, but it's perfectly fine to leave the enslaved children as they are. So my understanding is actually they didn't. Um, Finn and Rose didn't make the decision to release the fazers. The children did. The children who worked in the fazers' stables. And so the children couldn't go along with them. And so the fathers were just kind of there to help them escape. But once they were out, of course, they're not going to go back to the stables. Well, also, I guess they were a little... Rose and Finn were a little too overjoyed about their achievements when they had basically accomplished nothing. Where she was like, it's worth it. They're like, we broke a bunch of cars. It was worth it. Even though they they were the last hope for, you know, the rebels and now they're doomed everyone is doomed i think it's that inevitableness it's like oh i guess we're gonna die so it sucks that we didn't accomplish our mission but at least we did something we screwed up their lives just a little bit and then like she tries to save finn by potentially killing him you know when she like slams her airplane into his airplane and then i thought she died but they're like no no this is the episode where we fake out a lot of people dying did you guys like? Did you guys think it would have been emotionally or plot-wise satisfying if Finn had actually sacrificed himself into the canon? At this point, I was like, "Well, has he done anything else this this episode?" I have a bias here because I always enjoy it when characters sacrifice themselves and die. But yeah, I think it would have been cool if he actually did it. Like, I know that I I love Finn. I want him to thrive and be happy. But like, it would have made a lot of sense from a plot angle or a character arc angle like the whole movie he struggles to do one thing that is like first of all at first he doesn't want to be a hero then he kind of decides he wants to be a hero but he does it wrong so at the end he's like oh i figured it out and he goes for it would you have been okay if he destroyed the cannon and survived so because i was like well what if he drives he drives straight out the cannon thing and then like at the last minute he ejects himself so he just like goes flying out upwards and then everything below him explodes. Oh, that actually would have been cool. Like if he had a plan and it just looked like he was sacrificing himself. I wanted to go back to an earlier point where like Phasma, like what if Phasma hates Finn for like perfectly reasonable reasons? Like he was just a real bad employee? Yes. <laughs> and then he, she's like, you don't understand. I don't know. I imagine because he talks about like mopping floors. Yeah. At some point, And I'm just imagining him like, mopping a floor incorrectly and Phasma just eating it as she like walks past him one day possibly many days possibly like he was the bane of her existence and she hated him deeply and then he got away well and she like never got to enact her revenge and now she finds out he's some hotshot rebel who's trying to take yeah. charge it's just like yeah. he can't take charge of shit I'm gonna get him <laughs> And then you're like, she's like, you don't understand. You don't understand what he was like at work. I love that interpretation. That's, that's my headcanon for Finn. And then, like, all he had to do was join the resistance to, like, become a more competent person. <laughs> 
He just needed a fangirl. Yeah, which I thought was kind of funny, like, as an introduction for Rose. Like, I felt like I was being uh, poked fun at a little bit, you know, in a loving way. I don't know, uh, I kind of love how, like, she's Asian and she's, like, she's not a typical Asian character that you would usually see in a movie. For one thing, it's not, was. like, the waif who's, like, tiny and hot and knows all this, like, martial arts. She's kind of, like... Oh, yeah, I work behind the pipes all day, so I don't actually talk to people. Well, you imagine that Paige was, like, the glamorous sister. I did notice that. At least she went out with, like, perfect eye makeup. Yeah. I mean, I liked Rose as a character. I think she was sort of underused by the movie. And sometimes, like, I don't know. I can see why people have trouble with her, I guess. But I really liked her. And I thought that my main issue with this movie, which sort of encompasses the idea of the casino scene being a weird uh, tonal zone, is that this felt like episode two of a season of a show, rather than the sort of climactic second act of a trilogy. Because this is like the getting to know you episode. You know, like new friends come in, and they kind of just are teasing and testing the waters and failing a lot. And then we see them go on to do like great things. So even if I thought there were two more movies instead of just one more movie, I would have been a lot sort of more in a headspace to think that it was okay that everybody just did nothing but goof off and mess up the whole movie. Well, didn't Lando show up in Empire Strikes Back? And I don't know if it's like, it's really fair to say that Rose was introduced so late because Lando was introduced in the second movie of that trilogy and people love him. Well, I don't mean necessarily that she was introduced too late to be a good character, but she sort of acted as, like, a a supplement to Finn's arc rather than, you know, in the same way that Lando's a supplement to Han's arc. Kind of introduced as a potential replacement for Han. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, he sort of fits in that niche rather than being, like, you know, I'm Lando and I'm here to be a new protagonist. So Rose kind of does fit in that zone. But kind of, she becomes more interesting than Finn in certain ways. Like, Finn's character development is not as strong as Rose's during that, short time that we saw them together like this is sort of a story about rose trying to avenge her sister and going totally out of the realm of anything she's done before and it's the story of finn like starting the movie with the idea that he's just gotten embroiled in some great drama that he has to see through and kind of immediately quitting and then having to get somebody with more vigor pull him back in I don't know. I guess for me i kind of take finn at his word that you know it's not that he wants to quit but he's He's worried about Ray. He's worried that she's going to come back and the ship will have been destroyed or she'll come back right as they're getting destroyed and she'll die. So it's always just kind of about trying to throw the tracker somewhere where she'll be safe. And it's not really about his own (laughs) personal safety. Otherwise, he wouldn't volunteer to go on this mission to find the codebreaker. I kind of saw it as like a little bit of cowardice and also like, I actually thought he was only going to try to go find Ray. Yeah, that's what he wanted to do at first. I don't know. A lot of aspects of this movie felt like they had a different plot in mind, but then something different came up and they were like, oh yeah, let's go with that. But we still have to have the part where they talk about it, like they're going to do it the other way. We haven't talked yet about Vice Admiral Hodel, though. Like, I don't think we can talk about this episode of Star Wars without talking about Laura Dern. The purple Dern. I was super frustrated with the whole Poe Dameron and Laura Dern interactions. I can see why, because when I was watching those scenes, I was like, ooh, Natalie's not going to like this. <laughs> it just sort of registered with me that nobody was acting in a professional and uh, intelligent manner for a lot of those arcs. But 
Also, I thought that the Poe and Lordern stuff was the strongest in the movie. Like, they both had a very clear arc that was seen through to the end. And, like, at the end, you saw a big shift in Poe's personality and Lordern's personality. And I'm never going to use her name because she's Space Dern, and I'm okay with that. So, Laura Dern, like, what did you guys expect from that character? Because I was afraid that she was, like, in league with the the First Order. And she was basically going to, like, let the spaceship run out of gas and then just hand over the crew and, like, save her own skin. Like, I did not foresee a noble purpose for her. And I was super frustrated that she had a noble purpose, but she neglected to tell anyone important. And no one knew of her true potential, except, you know, Princess Leia, who was, like, in a coma. And, damn it, Oscar Isaac, like, can't you just respect somebody instead of, like, (laughs) doing your own thing? It's like he thinks that everyone he works with is an idiot. You know, like, he hasn't had much proof otherwise, but, god, man, just shut up and sit down. (laughs) Also, he's like... um, Base plan is that it really was a need-to-know basis, where... You know, what she was trying to prevent was exactly the one, like, the thing that Poe Dameron did, which was blurt it over the intercom so that anybody could hear and then give them away to the First Order. Well, I think she could have been a little more like, I got this, boy, sit down. Instead of just like, the Force will do what the Force will do. And, you know, I, Leia always said this, so we're going to, like, keep on going, guys. I don't know that he would have respected her if she had said that, though. I would have respected her, though. Yeah. Yes, but we know that you're smarter than Poe Dameron, because you're not some trigger-happy happy flyboy. Yeah, and then she's like, oh, I like him. And you're like, no, you don't. He's like the bane of your existence, lady. <laughs> I have to say, though, both times I watched The Last Jedi, I laughed at the whole ironing gig, where it looks like a spaceship <laughs> is about to... <laughs> Yeah. down and there's all the steam and it's just an iron I loved that because when I saw it I totally got that it was an iron immediately but I thought it was so cool that they were using an iron as a spaceship in modern <laughs> times like we were back in the 80s or something I like started grabbing onto Kevin and I was just like Kevin yeah, they got an iron spaceship it's so cool oh okay <laughs> so I feel like we've skirted around the idea of Kylo Ren you know, like, we're getting ready. Preparing ourselves. Um, but I thought that my maybe biggest expectation going into this movie was around the idea of what would become of, like, Kylo Ren versus Rey. As, like, like I know I joke about shipping, but really, like, as, you know, the primary protagonist and antagonist of the movie, I wanted to see them have a showdown of some kind that was very satisfying. So, like, I actually thought their scenes in this movie were really cool. Like when they had the lightsaber battle where they got a, they got to do a lot of like, you know, helping each other out kind of tricks with the lightsabers. Like also, Kylo that. Ren basically blaming Snoke's death on Rey. Just like, she killed the Emperor. Yeah. Like, don't blame her for what you did, man. Right. So can you separate Kylo Ren from the Twitter emo Kylo Ren? Are I mean, you supposed to? <laughs> yeah. Because I, mean, I can't. I can't. <laughs> all kylos are canon <laughs> and also uh the the technician kylo run <laughs> <laughs> from 
undercover cover boss. <laughs> yes. I just also I kind of like I want to read General Hux's diary. I bet he has like the most interesting thoughts. <laughs> No, because, like, he kind of, he's, like, bipolar, where he's, like, I'm on top of the world. I'm a bad ga- badass. Like, I make important speeches. And then he just, like, gets thrown into a console by Kylo Ren because he's, like, yapping too much. <laughs> and I'm, like, how do you survive this? Because you're, like, on top of the world, like, in charge one moment. He's just degraded and humiliated the next. Yeah, I would like to see some workplace drama with... Hux and Kylo Ren because I feel like in the same vein as the Phasma and Finn drama it would be really petty it would be like uh so if you could just get the reports to me by this time and he's like yeah sure whatever but then like as soon as Kylo Ren walks away he's like god damn I hate that guy <laughs> worst <laughs> I cannot wait until my poisoning plan succeeds and then like at every so single opportunity he's trying to assassinate him it's like Parks and Rec but with the characters of the First Order that would be great <laughs> That would be amazing. We oh. need to do that. We need to have the opening credits, the theme song, like da 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 da. da. Like we need that. <laughs> so, do we have predictions for? Are we done? Or no, no, let's do predictions. 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 Um. Okay. I think that my main prediction from the next movie is that we will once again see Maz Kanata in action because she was severely underutilized in this movie. Although I thought she was kind of cool during the scene that she was in because you just see her in a random gunfight. Mm-hmm. But I like the implication that she had a romance with the Master Codebreaker. <laughs> yeah, like I think she's an interesting character who so far they haven't done that much with, but they could. And so I think she's going to come back in a big way in the third one and play an important role. Because when you think about, like, how they have no allies left, like, she's a source of allies. Even if she doesn't have a lot of forces herself, she probably knows where you can acquire some allies at a time like this. Well, I feel like the next movie is going to take place many years down the road. It's not going to be immediate because I think there's the implication. um, Because at the end of the movie, you see the little orphan boy from the stables and he forced take the broom from its corner. You're like, oh my gosh, he can use the force. And then you see that he's wearing Rose's resistance ring, and you're just like, oh my god, is he going to grow up and join the resistance? Oh, so you think they're going to wait until all the little people get big enough to be resistance fighters, and then they'll resume the fight? Well, the thing then is, they, they can... can't lead an attack on the First Order as they are now. They're, there's too few of them. So I think they're going to maybe time jump a couple of years into the future where the little people will have grown up and more and more people will have become dissatisfied with the First Order. And it will be about that journey to spark the flame. Mm, yeah, that might be interesting. I think you're, I think Kylo Ren can run this thing into the ground in no time splat. Yeah, that would be the main question is how <laughs> do they succeed in escaping in time to like regrow their numbers? Like, that would have been the thing to show at the end of this movie, is like, well, we're hidden now, but what do we do next? I guess we can't do anything. And it kind of leaves it in an air of hopelessness. But, like, I thought this was kind of a hopeful ending. Even though they're in a dire situation, they're all acting like it's a hopeful ending. Like, it was kind of a scene of everybody being glad that they're okay, and, like, you know, meeting new friends, and kind of reassessing the situation. 
but it didn't feel Actually, like... Was it you who said, or was it my friend Bernice, she basically said at the end of the movie, when Leo said, like, it's okay, we have everything we need to, you know, lead the resistance. And I think it was Bernice, she was said, it's like, yes, you have all the cast of your next movie. <laughs> the important ones are here, that's all. Sorry, Laura. Sorry, Luke. Yeah, I actually wanted this movie to end on a stronger cliffhanger. Like, at the end of Empire, you're really like, oh my god, things are bad for our pals. And, you know, Han Solo's stuck. And, like, it's just everyone's got a real sad demeanor. And, like, it's not it's not that sad because you knew there's another movie and it's every, everything's going to be fine. But this was, like, they wanted to end on a cheerful note even though it was a dire situation. So it's, like, it did kind of leave you, like, not knowing what you were supposed to be anxious about for the next movie. Even though it's like, obviously, they all could be killed at any second. By the way, do we believe Kylo Ren telling Rey that her parents were nothing? Nah, that's like bullshit, man. I don't think they abandoned her for drink money. I think they maybe they died, but tragically. That's like yeah, a I actually kind of her. wanted to be true, though. Yeah, me too. Because one of I... the great things about the original A New Hope, before... Um, George Lucas retconned so much of the Star Wars universe was this idea that Luke was a poor farm boy who never anticipated becoming the central part of the space drama. So it's this idea that you know anybody could be a hero, and I think it's kind of cool that if Ray, if she actually did come from nothing, it really emphasizes the st- story of you don't have to be part of a family dynasty to be a f- strong force user. Well, I don't. I'm not opposed to her parents coming from nothing, but I am opposed to them not loving her. Like, I was like, poor Ray has gone through enough. At least her parents loved her and then died. Oh, so you think it's just too bleak? Yeah. And, you know, like, she's such a nice lady. She needs, she needs like a, I don't know, like, because her family means so much to her that for them to turn out to be shitty, it just seems so terrible. But isn't yeah. it kind of true that like the shittier your family is, it's also kind of it creates your greater neediness for a good family. Well, Kylo Ren should not have turned out as shitty as he did. Which is, <laughs> I would like some sort of flashback scene or something just to understand how exactly he came into um, contact with Snoke. Like yeah. I thought, the understanding was like there are no more no more Sith in the universe. So where was Snoke hiding all this time? Yeah, I think people who are really into lore were upset that there was not more lore about Snoke, but I didn't understand much about, like, the Emperor in the original trilogy before he just showed up looking evil, so I was kind of okay with Snoke being a mystery evil man. I'm not really invested in finding out, but I do think it's a big part of Kylo Ren's character development that we find out what exactly led him to Snoke and made him give in to the dark side. Because understanding why he turned to the dark side is also probably a step in guiding him back from it. Although, this is sort of where the prequels went wrong. Is I'm okay with a little bit of ambiguity in a villain's backstory. I don't need you to tell me every little thing. And I know that if we're expecting a redemption arc for Kylo, that puts him in a different category from a traditional villain. But I also kind of, I'm not gunning for a Kylo Ren redemption arc like I once was. I think he's gone too far. I think yeah. That- when Snoke was a player, there was a good chance for him to be redeemed, but now that he's the only big bad, aside from Hux, sorry, Hux. <laughs> <laughs> no one takes him seriously. Everyone's a punching bag. 
There's just no shot of Kylo being redeemed if Hux is the only one to take up the mantle of big bad of this trilogy. It's not going to happen. <laughs> That's true. I guess it's just the question of, like, where did they go wrong in Ben Solo's education that he became Kylo Ren? I think you just get some bad eggs sometimes. Like, you know, like, some people came from nothing, but they turn out to be, like, wonderful people. And then so, like, some people who come from good stuff just turn bad. And plus, isn't it like an established part of the canon that the dark side is like consistently tempting anybody who's force sensitive? So like it it sort of stands to reason that some people would succumb to it. I guess it also goes hand in hand with this whole idea that the force is, you know, neither inherently good or bad. It's both <coughs> at the same time. So it really depends on your personal motivations. I don't know, man. I, I agree with Tracy that I feel like kylo ren doesn't get a happy ever after like if he is redeemed he needs to be redeemed like darth vader in depth yeah (laughs) like i'm i'm cool with kylo ren becoming like a blue force ghost and all and sitting with like yoda and anakin and everybody like i'm okay with that but i don't think he gets to like come back and is taken back into the fold and everyone likes him now no no i think there's definitely like poetical narrative and having kylo ren dead and that's the end of the skywalker line yeah and that kind of makes like the idea of the last jedi have some weight to it even though it's not the last last jedi it's like the last jedi of that generation or of that kind of school of thought because right of the actual jedi philosophy Right, because, like, Rey is not a Jedi in that way. And, like, she could be because she stole those books, but she so far is not really. Like, she didn't take to that training at all. But I also was hoping from this movie, like, an actual departation from the notion of Jedi and Sith. Like, that's what I thought they were going for with the whole Rey and Kylo thing. Is it the one thing they have in common? Is it they're both deeply dissatisfied with the niche they've been put into? So what is for them but to kind of pursue a new system? And yet in the moment where they could have done that, Kylo kind of took it too far. And it was like, no, I can't join up with a thing like this. So it's like they lost their opportunity. Kylo, he keeps talking about how he wants to kill the past and start new. And then he's like yelling at Rey for holding on. But he's also the one holding on where instead of just, you know, saying like, you know what? I'm done with this whole like dark dark side, light side nonsense. Let's just go find our own little planet and just, like, be ourselves there. He's like, no, and now I'm going to start a new order. Yeah, a new, new order. Plus, his idea of killing the past is kind of literal, whereas Ray's idea of killing the past is like, let's just be ourselves. And Kylo's like, I need to murder everyone I've ever known. When I'm done with that, we'll get to it. (laughs) I hope these conversations continue. Like, their, their, like, force connection just, like, continues indefinitely like oh hey there like i'm just like lifting these weights right now funny you should call me right now or hey i'm just in the bathtub yeah and she's like kylo could you just cut it out it's not happening you murdered a lot of people i'm kind of over it and he's like all right that's fine i'll just get in the hot tub then if you don't mind it's like god damn it (laughs) i wanted to tell you guys about my new app idea oh what is it So today, I mistyped programming, and instead of programming, I wrote (laughs) porgramming. (laughs) 
Yeah, so I so I had two ideas. It was either like a porg lifestyle insta. <laughs> you know, like porg foodie bloggers, porg <laughs> trying on makeup, porg eating avocado toast, porg, you know, next to the Louvre, like stuff like that, or or it would be pictures of chicken dishes. <laughs> Wait, I don't get it. Because pork is like chicken. Like, it would be like how to prepare pork in 200 ways. Oh, my God. We could write that and put that on Amazon. It doesn't even have to have anything to do with pork. It'll just be chicken recipes, but we replace the word chicken with pork. <laughs> and we would get food. Food you know, into Tracy, the next life. You really need for your cold and your cough is some good pork soup. Yeah, it's a classic. <laughs> <laughs> What, like 101 ways to eat porg? Everyday porg? I can really go for some Portuguese style roast porg. Portuguese style roast porg? So, do we have any recommendations this week? Everyone, my recommendation is Rogue One. Because if you haven't seen that yet, you definitely should. It is by far my favorite Star Wars movie. And if you've been listening for the entire podcast episode, you probably know it's because everyone dies. Spoiler. (laughs) (laughs) Well, if they didn't know, now they do. (laughs) I mean, you kind of figure it out like halfway through the movie, just like by power of deduction. Because you ask yourself, like, these episodes are so, like, these characters are so cool. Why don't we see them in episode four? And then you're like, oh, you don't see them because they're not around. Oh, shit. <laughs> I was hoping they would got, they got to escape and live out their days, like, in an asteroid somewhere. I mean, I had that hope, too. I was just like, oh, just maybe, like, two of them will survive. Like, Diego Luna survives. Please, maybe Diego Luna survives because he's too hot to die. <laughs> like, he, he and Jin just need to have, like, a bone section on the beach or something before they die. They can't just, like, die without having sex with each other. Well, you can put that if you want. We didn't see. Well, <laughs> I don't know. Like, maybe they're like force ghosts somewhere. Did they have any force sensitivity? Uh, well, Donnie Yen apparently did. He brought them all in as ghosts. Yeah. So they can hang out together. <laughs> it's like, you know, getting, it's like a new app. Like, you have to be invited in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I guess I will recommend a new Netflix show I started watching. And I think I've talked before, or if I haven't, then at least you guys know about my love of the show, uh, Samurai Gourmet, which is just about a man who loves to eat. Um, but sort of in my search so he's not for, actually a samurai? No, except in his dreams. You should watch this if you haven't already. That's my first recommendation. But, um, well, in my search for a sort of post-Samurai Gourmet experience, I discovered a show called Kantaro, the Sweet Tooth Salaryman. I just saw ads for that. It looks hilarious. But it is, like, first of all, if you don't know anything about Japanese desserts, you're about to learn. Because all he ever does is eat Japanese desserts. And secondly, it's just a total absurdist world of... It sounds like I'm exaggerating, but when I say that this man experiences, like, an almost sexual level of pleasure (laughs) when eating desserts, his reactions are just... Adding this onto my Netflix (laughs) queue right now. (laughs) So my recommendation is um, this New Year's uh, rice cake recipe by Mangchi, and 
It is really good. I've eaten it like four times in the past three days, and I'm deeply saddened that now it's gone. But it's basically like like half a pound of like flank steak or brisket, and then you like boil it in water for a while, and that's your soup base, and you add some garlic, and and then like put in some fish sauce and like green onions and like a whole bunch of rice cakes. And I forget how much I love rice cakes. Not like you know, the the sad diet rice cakes, but like the Asian style. I know you mean like Korean style rice cakes. Yes. It's chewy. It's almost kinda of, kinda of got a mochi QQ texture. Yeah. And I know our listeners all understand what QQ is because Tracy and I have explained this to them. That's right. So I had a sore throat this week and I was like, I'm feeling sick. So I'm going to make like noodle soup and this really hit the spot. So you should all try it. Yeah, we'll include that recipe. All right. Thanks for listening to Midnight Breakfast Cafe. To get the latest episodes, you can subscribe on your favorite podcast app or follow us on Twitter at NBC Podcast. You can also find links to things we've mentioned this episode at midnightbreakfastcafe.wordpress.com. And if you're enjoying the show, please link and review on Apple Podcasts. It helps new listeners find us. Happy breakfast and brunch, everyone. Bye. Yep. Bye.